0: Hi, my name is Marisa Lucero and I'll be going over Peter Moss's chapter 6 on Gilles Deleuze, thought movement and more experimentation. Gilles Deleuze was a French philosopher born in the mid-1900s whose work became known as postmodernist and post-structural in the field of theory. His account for movement Thought and experimentation surpassed many of the other theorists whose rigidity and more stable thought led to depletion for the ability to create this movement and influx within the spaces of lines that maintained everyone in place, education at a standstill, and thoughts without anywhere to go. Deleuze's thoughts also looked time, accounting for changes over time. The idea that we were learning and changing at a standstill wasn't something that he sort of incorporated into his work. It wasn't this unorthodox set of goals and measurements and ideas that came from preset notions. It was this fluidity that sort of Stemmed from evolution, looking at history, looking how do things change and concepts moved within these spaces and time stamps, and inevitably, the creation of history. What does this concept have to do with early childhood education? As many of us have looked at prior chapters and perhaps thought the same thing chapter after chapter regarding the initial discovery of dominant discourses and paradigms, we have come to see that indeed, many of these topics and ideas and theories, in essence, have a multitude of places in the world of early childhood education. And that if we dive deeper into them, we see where they play a role and how relevant they are in terms of looking at how fundamental they are developing holistic children in today's society. Looking at thought and how Deleuze interpreted thought, in the chapter it is quoted as mentioning that he looks at it as bringing into being that which does not yet exist. So the idea that thought, again, isn't sort of accumulative in this idea that we're taking an idea and recreating it and making something continue a pattern or continue a certain line of thought or trail of repetition it's this idea that it's tied to knowledge it's tied to learning and learning is an unpredictable essence that we are all creating quoted author mars sellers points out that thoughts roam freely they wander, they flow they are in essence outside familiarity We are not looking at something that has been repetitive by nature and once again rigid or or is set in stone, but rather, as pointed out, universes we do not know anything about can be created from these thoughts. It is thought to be experimental and to think is to experiment, but not necessarily in the scientific nature, not looking at the fact that one thing inevitably is going to lead to another thing, if so-and-so have foremost come to be. It's the idea that this experimentation leads to potentiality, another term that's very prevalent in the thoughts of Deleuze. The idea that unknown, new thoughts have power to generate new ways of being. Again, this word of power, which we heard recently in the chapter 5, by Foucault where power was instinctively something we all have. And it's not necessarily, as he mentioned, a bad thing or a good thing. It's just something that is part of our existence. And what role does that play in the world of early childhood education? I'm sure many of us can think back to times in either placements or work education, or perhaps even as students as part of the public education or childcare system, where that idea of power was lost for children, right? We haven't come to see this great sense of power, empowerment given to children that we have today. As we further enter into the chapter, Ma starts to discuss, with what many of us may be familiar with to this point, lines of flight. What he describes to be a vivid term for him that conjures up new ideas and thoughts, A difference between the known and heading into the unknown. Moments that we've all had when we suddenly see everything in a new light and feel a surge of excitement and energy. Looking at this, we might think, oh, we've had those moments. Those moments come and go continuously. It could be something as simple as perhaps looking at it from a standpoint of someone having an epiphany, a sudden idea that has engulf somebody and suddenly turned on all these light bulbs and made you think, where was this idea before? An idea that doesn't really seem to come from a place of constricted thought, but instead allows us to go forward and really expand beyond any measures of thought. As in for a child, when children are working in the classroom, we often probably see this on a daily basis materials that are not being used as they should be, activities that as placement students we have put out for them and don't go as planned but still turn out to be an invaluable experience for them. This idea sets forth the idea and concept between other lines such as those rigid lines which follow more of an orthodox thinking according to Moss and are created by theories of children's predetermined development. Also, in conjunction to supple lines, which might in essence give a little bit more malleability, but are still not creating that flexibility and fluid chance for people to really look past those barriers. Lines of flight are essentially not constricted to like the other lines that he discusses. As he mentions it, there is a zigzag crack in between the other lines and it is only these lines that from the perspective of Deleuze and Guattari are capable of creating something new. Coupled with this idea of lines of flight is also the concept of effect and event as Moss mentions and discusses in the chapter. Looking at how effect takes its place as a result of these thoughts, as a result of these fluid-like movements, and how events come to naturally be and occur within the trio of these three concepts. An example presented in the book comes from an educator in a classroom where children were given material to use and instead completely turned it around and decided to produce a different activity. They are given clay to use in the form of exotic worms and in the midst of their intense work in modeling, they appear to be shooting each other with clay guns and then proceed to be friends and go off in their play. This reminds me of an early story from an educator who mentioned that she was very cautious about having her son view violence and view violent shows and Westerns, even something like Toy Story, where there was a cowboy. And in the midst of all this, she had sequestered him so deeply from this fluidity of thought and freedom and taken away, I suppose in a way, a sense of his own power to expose him to not violence necessarily, but to give him the opportunity to learn and create his own experiences within societal norms today. So out of his bread and out of his waffles, he would end up creating guns and run around the house shooting those guns and then eat them and go on and play with another subject. She then realized that inevitably she couldn't control these thoughts. That although she had made sure to sort of keep them secure from these dangerous ideas, or these concepts she did not want to expose him to, she inadvertently had still created that sort of illusion that he would not be able to understand something. And he in turn was able to create something out of these lines of flight. There wasn't a rigidity in his mindset. It was simply that he was able to look past something he wanted and recreate it out of forms that weren't exactly as they were intended to be. Moss then goes on to discuss how assemblages the idea that new thought can emerge from an encounter. So this preconceived notion that A plus B must equal C. If you do this and this in the classroom, then ultimately all the children will turn out perfect because that's what we've come to follow. That's what the curriculum and the public education system have come to expect. Children at this age enter at this stage. As a result, they should be learning by this age. So, as we know, that couldn't be further from the truth. We know that all of these assessments, all of these tools that we are given are there for a reason. They're there to establish boundaries. They're there to establish how children's development is really coming into play. But essentially, we know as educators that that's not the case. We know that children develop at their own rate. We know that every child is born different, capable, curious, but unique in their own way. We know that these assemblages, in essence, are varying discourses and views that gather together to form new assemblages that we can see and encounter in our own careers, in our own interactions with children. Maas further discusses the importance of the fluidity within these circumstances again. The fact that it is extremely important for teachers to create rich opportunities and enriching environments to create these new assemblages with rich potential for the emergence of new thoughts. This idea couldn't make more sense and I'm sure as educators or future educators we think that going into the classroom is going to be simple. If we follow this and we do this we will result in this. How can any child be unhappy if we have, how does learning happen, if we have everything up to code it's very difficult i think to establish a ground set rule for every child under one roof in a child care center or an education system and unfortunately that seems to be the case for many centers and many children's prospective futures i think it's also important to mention that there is something included in this chapter regarding the need to see power in a different sense so again touching on that basis of the previous chapter by Foucault that power and knowledge and truth play such an integral role in the early childhood education system we have to look at the fact that something like this concept of assemblages from uh, this chapter really does look at how even the previous chapter on Reggio Emilia the story of democracy, experimentation and potentiality created such an immense change in the world of childhood education. The idea that all of these varying discourses, all these varying perspectives didn't follow a single flight, that there had to be an uproar and change in order for them to break free of this rigidity, of these rigid lines, of these also very expected expectations that we had for children in the child care system and be able to emerge with something new, something that didn't follow the exact track on the road to education. Desires was an interesting term that popped up in this section. When you think of desire, I think the term coined in this chapter regarding what societal perspectives would be are very different. When we're looking at desires in terms of Moss's chapter, it's more regarding forces of creativity and possibility. It goes on to mention that perhaps this is looking at something that might be vacant, something that might be missing. For example, he uses the idea that in psychoanalysis, it could be something like in schemas, which leads to control and taming. The idea that certain schemas are not present and that they need to be placed in certain categories this idea of categorization of powering over this analysis in our minds and in children's development looking further into it they look at something that describes itself as having no start and no end if you remember the term he's referring to rhizomes And he uses the example of the Internet. So this idea that there's all these infinite strands connected, interconnected, interwoven, but that span out and have no end in sight. They're essentially eternal extensions. This contributes significantly to the portion of movement within Deleuze's chapter and thoughts on this idea. Although there appear to be a lot of math concept terms presented, such as linearity and predictability, we know that essentially many of these words don't seem to have very much sense when it comes to thinking about early childhood education and how thoughts and expression and ideas and overall experiences have anything to do with it. So I think in this sense, Moss is trying to show us how these terms and these words have really very little to do with how the upbringing, how the experiences need to be within the classroom. Further looking into it, Deleuze's commitment to movement is mentioned that it's very much attached to this idea of nomad and the nomadic. The idea that a nomad has no start or end to a journey. It's the idea that these fixed points are not essential. They're not even part of the journey. It's traveling endlessly. A drifter, if you will. In a world of discovery. Imagine a child with no limits. No barriers. And no one saying, you must do this and this to get this. You are here given materials this idea of open-ended play, as we know, that has come very much into the progress and success of how to provide a child a holistic environment within today's heavy-paced and rigid societal expectations. We have hopefully come to understand the importance of looking at how in this case, how in their example of a nomad Being a child, for example, would want to move through what Moss describes in regards to Deleuze's concepts. Smooth space, which is a positive space, a fluid space, not not rigid, not encapsulated, not bound by any webs of expected expectations, but instead much of that space ends up being striated space as they refer to when we look at the public education system much of what we have there is striated space this idea of orthodox thinking where every child has a student number and has an expectation to complete the curriculum and succeed within the expected norms and behavioral forms of societal comforts. If we have a child who can't sit still, if we have a child who can't learn the way every other child is learning and succeeding, we have come to expect what shouldn't be expected. We can lastly examine the idea and concept of micropolitics and how Deleuze perceived these to be quintessential, just like Foucault There was no negating the idea that power existed and power was there. It was just so much as looking at how power needed to be perceived. The idea that power didn't have to be constructed from large government sectors to break down barriers and make changes. It was this concept that we look at power and we look at politics and we create a minuscule version of intentional acts towards changes not being barred by the ideas or thoughts of others. As we also had discussed in chapter three, politics and ethics are foremost in many of the practices and jobs that we'll probably encounter. And although it may not seem like it's a prevalent aspect of early childhood education, we know that governing bodies play a significant role in how children, centers, educators, Communities and families come together to form political change and policies within our sector. Ultimately, Gilles Deleuze has played an impactful role in the development, exploration, and changes in the world of early childhood education. We have come to see many changes and many different factors incorporated, whether or not it be intentional or unintentional and some of the schools we know to be. I know we have all discussed Sweden and Denmark and many other ways that children have come to learn and explore and surpass inevitable boundaries above all. It would be interesting to see that more of these ideas are perpetuated within North American standards to see how this fluidity how this experimentation and how these lines of flight essentially create more movement and intentional freedom in classrooms so that we can empower children for a better society thank you for listening and i look forward to sharing discussions with you during the week